And we go to our Wellington studio to catch up with one of the Media Watch team, and it's Jeremy Rose in the chair. Hi, Jeremy. Kia ora, Karen. How are you this evening? Yeah, pretty good. It's a bit cold down here, but not in the studio, just outside. Now, The Guardian, I'm just looking at this the other day and thinking, mm, so tailored towards New Zealand, and you, you're solving the mystery for me. They've, they've made it that way. Yeah, they've launched in the international section. If you go there from New Zealand anyway, there's a, now a New Zealand section. They launched at the beginning of last week, and they said that they intended to increase the scope of our journalism here, covering inequality and social justice, Maori affairs, environment and the climate emergency, politics, culture and sport. So a pretty wide remit. They've, it's nowhere near as big a scale as what they did in Australia. Eleanor Angie Roy, who's reported here as a stringer for a long time, has been appointed full-time, I believe. Charlotte Graham-McClay, a former Radio New Zealand staffer, presenter, um, and New York Times stringer is writing for them. And there's a few other familiar names, like Bryce Edwards turning up once a week with a political column. Uh, Morgan Godfrey, the writer and pundit, had a piece last week. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. The and, and I think a great a great thing. Any any um, extra investment in New Zealand journalism is is a good thing. They're obviously hoping, in fact, asking for soliciting donations from New Zealanders, and and you know want this to pay for itself. The one question I have, I suppose, is who is the audience? It, it kind of, I'm not sure whether the primary audience is us or people who are interested in us. Um, so there are stories which don't really take things much, you know, which feel like you're just reading an international account of something you've already heard more of in our media anyway. Um, today's efforts, for instance, were Bryce Edwards on Chloe Swarbrick, um, quite a laudatory kind of piece, uh, yeah, interesting in its way. A piece on Richard Hadley, which kind of puzzled me. I wasn't sure whether people in New Zealand or Britain and other countries would be that interested in, in a cricketer who last played for New Zealand in 1990, I think. Um, but when you get to the bottom of the article, you see that it comes from a, a cricket newsletter. So that's aimed at the cricket tragics. Um, and and there, seems, <laughs> tragics. there seems to be quite a few of them, actually. Um, so I, I shouldn't be disparaging. There was more than 200 comments on it. And there was a questionnaire of New Zealanders that asked New Zealanders to say what they thought news had to change for us to become a nation of five million, which, as you know, is what's expected to happen next year. That, I wasn't sure who it would satisfy, actually. It didn't seem to um, satisfy me, but it did, it, it was spawned by a much more in-depth and very well done piece looking at New Zealand as we approach that. Um, Mark Roach was one of the journalists that worked on that, along with uh, Eleanor Angie Roy. Um, and that did have lots of facts and figures and really was a, a kind of interesting piece. There's been a kind of notice as I just look back, there's been a piece so far on Chloe Swarbrick, Jacinda Ardern, Helen Clark and James Shaw. Um, and they're all very positive. And it feels to me a little bit like those are there to feed a kind of the liberal readership of The Guardian um, with stories of progressive politicians, you know, uh, and it, yeah, I, I'm not sure 
whether well, it's interesting. I mean, I'll just leave it at that in a sense. I mean, there was an example of that. Um, Charlotte Graham wrote a piece looking at the the James Shaw one, um, and it was very very positive about the groundbreaking nature of the carbon zero bill. Um, and I suppose I read that at about the same time as I came across um, his predecessors uh, as the male co-leader of the Green Party, Russell Norman, he gave the um, Bruce Jesson annual journalism lecture uh, this year, and it was a scathing account of the zero carbon bill. And because it passed Parliament with bipartisan support, I think we haven't heard enough of that voice. And, And I think that piece would have benefited from actually pointing out some of the things that Russell Norman were pointing out. I mean, he doesn't think it's at all groundbreaking. He thinks it's a huge missed opportunity and it's not at all binding. Um, and, yeah, I did. I, so that that would have been nice to see something like that. But my main interest at the moment, I suppose, is how they kind of satisfy both an international audience, which in some ways needs... Uh, more once over likely approach and the New Zealand audience. You'll remember that Vice, when they had an office in New Zealand, I, I thought they did a, actually a very good job at that. They they produced some really um, interesting and good documentaries. I think we actually talked about one of them, which was the Gangsters in Paradise. Um, and they, they, they got... New Zealand on air funding for some of those projects, and I wonder whether the Guardian could be in a position to do something similar. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, and to sum up, I suppose, I, you know, I think it, I think it's great that the Guardian's doing it, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see some really interesting journalism for both us and the international readers. And I, they also launched, which I think probably hasn't been as as noticed and maybe better resourced is a um, a Pacific journalism fund uh, project they're calling it headed up by one of their journalists Kate Lyons and they say that they're going to establish a network of indigenous Pacific journalists and collaborate with publications across the Pacific including Vanuatu, Tonga, Fiji Papua New Guinea, the Marshall Islands, the Solomon Islands, Samoa French Polynesia and New Caledonia. So you know it sounds like they could be giving Radio New Zealand International, uh, Radio New Zealand Pacific sorry their new name um a run for their money, and it, it, I mean that does. I think you know, it sounds quite exciting. It's had funding from the Judith, Judith, Judith Nelson Institute, which has pumped a hundred million dollars into Australian journalism. Uh, they don't say how much they've you know they've received. It obviously won't be anything like that, but um, yeah, that that could be interesting. And I, uh, you know, I think it's a region that doesn't get nearly enough coverage. It's an interesting point you make about uh, who the audience is targeted at in regard to news about us, uh, because you'd think that the Pacific journalism would be read by those in the Pacific. Possibly. I mean, I think both. I know that when I remember Michael Field talking to him once when he worked for AFP and 
his job included reporting both New Zealand and the Pacific Islands. And he said that there was far more international interest in the Pacific Islands reports that he did than in anything that came out of New Zealand. Mm. Um, and maybe just because it's so exotic and so few people have been covering it. And I think yes, we, we could see, you know, that is changing a bit as the geopolitical situation becomes more... Um, Interesting with China moving in and a lot of people concerned about that. So there's, you know, the ABC is being encouraged to beef up its reporting, and and there's, yeah, we are seeing some movements in those areas. And do you think the brief from the Guardian is to focus, as you say, on more liberal politicians? And do you think they will do any personality pieces on the other side? Oh no, I'm sure they will. I'm sure that's not their brief. I think all of us are influenced now by the types of things which are very popular and I suspect stories about Jacinda and others have gone done extremely well so I just wonder whether that um, you know it could be a coincidence it is very early days they are in government so those politicians are more important so yeah and I shouldn't over over stress that but um, I imagine others will have noticed as well. You want to talk about Bolivia? I did. The, it was actually last time I was on, I was going to talk because the elections had, were coming up and I'd just done a little bit of searching and came across all these. Uh, I was just surprised at how extremely well the country had done in economic terms. You know, very strong growth rates and um, pulled huge numbers out of poverty. You know, one of the most successful poverty reduction in the region. Um, interestingly, along with Chile, and obviously they've followed diametrically different economic solutions to it. But it's more over the reporting. The reason I want to talk about it now is I've just been struck by the reporting of the crisis that has unfolded there. The uh, Evo Morales, as you'll know, is now in Mexico. Um, And I was just reading up the leader. There's a guy, Luis Fernando Camacho, who's been reported in... A number of New Zealand newspapers uh, and and media organisations from Reuters reports, but he's he's described as a civic leader, and I was just reading an article, and he straight after Morales left, he went into the presidential palace and he was photographed there, photographed himself, put it on Twitter, and he was quoted as saying, Pachamama will never return to the palace. Bolivia belongs to Christ. And in this article, he is described as a Christian fascist. Um, And there's a lot of links and a lot of background which substantiates that. He is an extreme right-winger. And the reportage has made it sound as if this is a kind of majority people's movement overthrowing a dictator. And the situation is just so much more complicated than that. Um, the the article's by a guy called Max Blumenthal, and it's in Grey Zone. There's a link, as always, on the web page of the Media Watch site, uh, RNZ Media Watch page, and on your um, Facebook page. Um, and so, yeah, and, and the other thing which which others have noted, is that the um, very few people are calling it a coup, 
Um, and there's been everyone is referencing this report by the American organization. Um, organization of American states, which is the one which suggested that there might have been irregularities in the voting. Um, And again, that has been called into doubt by an organization called FAIR, which is based on, um, as a kind of media watch type organization in the States, which says, you know, points out that there's been studies done by other groups that say the election was FAIR. So it's just... uh, yeah, I wonder whether when you're getting these quite, in a sense, it goes back to that Guardian thing. If you're just getting a very quick overview of something, you know, maybe we miss quite a lot of the subtleties or the other sides. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you there, Jeremy, but I know you wanted to finish with uh, the, some of the competition doing some media watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's a... There's a Al Jazeera has a programme called The Listening Post. Um, it's It's... It's, I'd say, you know, it's their version of Media Watch. It has a much bigger budget, and it has the whole world as its um, its uh, beat. Um, and they just did something which I thought was really interesting on prison journalism. We can listen to a clip from that now. San Quentin is where prisoners interested in journalism want to be. There's a newspaper, San Quentin News. There's the radio show Uncuffed. You can see and feel what we see, feel and hear. And there's the hit podcast, Ear Hustle. You could hear them uh, dragging handcuffs and stuff. All produced by inmates on the inside. And it's not just about the variety of media on offer. Prisoners at San Quentin can even get something of a journalism education from professional reporters. Yeah, so that was Joe Phillips, a um, sorry, Flo Phillips, a reporter with the program. And it's just a fascinating account of something which I hadn't really heard of before, which is this quite vibrant journalism scene coming out of US prisons, um, including a really extraordinary podcast, which has actually played, um, there's been extracts played before, I noticed when I went looking on Radio New Zealand. Um, it's called Ear Hustle. Um, very, very good. Um, and what, do they t- what do they tell us about? Well, the one episode I listened to was a guy that was in prison for stabbing a policeman, no, shooting, sorry, a policeman almost killing him, and the policeman also being interviewed. Um, and it's kind of a story of redemption and forgiveness over a very long period. The guy spent 15 or 16 years in prison before the policeman, you know, got in touch or or in fact the policeman went to the first parole hearing and opposed parole and then after that when he saw how much he had changed he he kind of changed his mind so it's a very it's a very moving story but extremely well told I I should have probably clipped a bit of that it's it's very very slick uh radio well, it's good that they get that experience as well it might stand them in good stead if they do get out so yep. Thank you very much, Jeremy. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. That's Jeremy Rose in our Wellington studio with Midweek Media Watch.